Be good. <laughs> well, hello there. Thanks for tuning in to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. It's your pal, Andrew, coming to you from Yucca Valley, California. Sitting here right now with uh, my little dog, Pele, and my sweet wife, Tiffany. We're in Yucca Valley, California, house-sitting for our friend, Tal Ruspoli, who runs an Airbnb. It's uh, an active and fun place, and it's so active and fun that we met this week's guest here. Uh, we've met her a few weeks ago at Tao's place, and I'm going to tell you all about her in a second, because uh, she's awesome. But I wanted to first say that this episode of the Monkey Tooth Podcast is dedicated to someone in particular. Um, it's sort of broadly dedicated to all teachers everywhere. But in particular, uh, our friend and wonderful teacher, Kristen Burlington of the Wigwam School in Sebastopol, California. She founded that school. She teaches there. And a lot of what she does at that school is very well articulated by the young woman that we met on this episode. Uh, her name is Hannah Gallagher. You're going to hear all about Hannah in just a moment. But uh, I just wanted to say a special shout out to Kristen. We love you. We're thinking about you all the time. And uh, thanks for doing what you do and for inspiring us to find out what Hannah does, our, our guest this week. Okay. Uh, Hannah Gallagher. What a person. Uh, yeah, like I said, we met her at this Airbnb and uh, immediately liked her. She's just friendly and, and full of life and passion for what she does. And uh, she's the inclusive programs director for the Seattle Children's Play Garden. Um, it's, a, it's a, an amazing place in the center of Seattle where children with disabilities are able to come and just be kids and play and grow food and uh, spend time with their, maybe their typically developing siblings or family members or just pals. It's great. And I want to read you something from their website, which is uh, seattlechildrensplaygarden.org. You should definitely go check this thing out. It's, it's incredible. But their manifesto is so beautiful to me. I just I want to read it to you. This is your play garden. You belong here. Be kind to yourself and others. Plant seeds and watch them grow. Grow berries and eat them. Learn why the clouds move, how the sun warms the earth, why the leaves fall, the sign for I love you, play by yourself and with others. And they talk about inclusion, garden to table, adventure play. It's, uh, it's a lovely, lovely place that's run by, um, from everything I can tell, lovely people, not the least of whom is Sweet Hannah, who we had a wonderful conversation with and spent several days just hanging out with. Uh, she's a preschool teacher. She's a fantastic educator. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we felt fortunate to, to be able to bend her ear on some of this stuff. And we learned some things, and I think you will too. So if you want more information on that, you can go to our website, mtp.dog. We've got uh, links up to her website and to the Seattle Children's Play Garden and some of the things they've been up to. Uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Merry Christmas to you out there if you're uh, a Christmas celebrating type person. If you're not, whatever, just happy to be alive day 
for you. And um, Happy New Year. We've had a great time with you this year. There's a lot more to come. Uh, we're grateful for you every day, every single day. We're grateful for this. So I hope you're having a great time out there and doing fun and interesting things. We love you. And until next time, bye-bye. Thank you very much, Anna. Mm -hmm. Welcome to someone else's home. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I've since we met uh, a day and a half ago. I've been very eager to get you on this uh, in front of this microphone. Uh, your work and what you do, I think, are um, they're valuable and very fascinating to me. And I know nothing about it except yeah. for what you've told me in the past couple of days. So, would you tell me um, what you do? Yeah. So I work with a nonprofit called the Seattle Children's Play Garden. And we are an acre piece of property in South Seattle. And we run outdoor nature play-based programming for kids of all ages and all abilities. So I wear many hats with the organization and work as our summer camp director, one of our outdoor preschool teachers, and then my actual job title is inclusive programs director. So I work on some of our community education programming and grants we have with the organization. Yeah. So. Are, are you now what what's your background, your education background? So I I grew up I grew up in Seattle mm -hmm. and then uh, went to Bellingham for went to Western for my undergrad and I studied environmental studies and with a focus in natural hazards, disaster risk reduction and okay. did a little bit of that work after college. Um, and then traveled and worked abroad doing some environmental education work. And then I came back from that and went into a master's program. It was a really cool three-part master's. Uh, the first part of it was a year teaching residency with an organization called Islandwood. And they run environmental education programming for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. Cool. And so you're living out in the woods on Bainbridge Island for a year with 27 other educators, um, teaching together, living together, taking classes together. And all the classes that you take are accredited through UW's Master's in Education program. So then after a year at Islandwood, did a year at University of Washington doing my Master's in Education, and I paired that with a certificate in nonprofit management. Okay. So you're, you are perfectly suited for what you're doing now. <laughs> I, I find myself pulling on all parts of that regularly you yeah. know on my teaching days i'm pulling from my you know the best teaching practices i learned at islandwood and then we are applying for a grant and i'm pulling on some of those nonprofit management skills and definitely feel like i use it all yeah and so, so the the nonprofit that you're working for now was started by your mom and your dad uh my mom it's just your mom yeah her name is liz bullard and she she was a speech pathologist um, for her whole first half of her career and working with families of children with disabilities and seeing them go kind of from therapy to doctor to therapy to doctor and almost always without, and that left very little time for kids to just be kids and kids to play. And so she wanted to create the Play Garden, which is a place where everyone can come and come play. Yeah, I love that that she saw a, a sort of a hole. Mm -hmm. So, okay, 
we'll, we'll fill that. Yeah. And and did something that she had not really done before. I mean, right? That that was No, I mean totally her new. her background was very much in speech therapy, but her her mother was a speech uh, her mother was a special education teacher, my okay. grandmother, and a gardener. Um so it feels a little bit like three generations of this kind of coming together and um, when my mom was thinking about the play garden, there were two gardens that she had heard about that were kind of initial inspiration, one in New York and one in Calgary. Both were on more private private properties, like one at a rehabilitation hospital, a children's rehabilitation hospital. And um, so kind of this idea of a play garden had existed before, but not in the capacity that we have it in and, yeah. and a public capacity. Because right. we're also a public park. We lease the land from the city of Seattle. Right in the middle yeah. of Seattle, which is its own incredible thing. Uh, I want to get back. So um, this started in what, 2009? 2002. 2002. So you were in school around mm-hmm. that time. Were you a little resistant to, to be involved? It sounded like you kind of had your own path. So I started with the organization before it existed. I was babysitting at board meetings when I was 12 years old. Um, for the board members' kids, and then became a summer camp. I was 15 the year we ran our first year of summer camp, and so I was legally able to work and worked as a summer camp counselor and loved it. And my mom hired all of my friends and my sister and brother's friends over the years. We all kind of joke that it was everyone's first job. (laughs) We were really fortunate to have. And so I worked as a camp counselor for many years and then became... Our camp director moved down to California, and I kind of transitioned into being, well, like, co-camp director one year. Then when she was gone the next year, it kind of was the natural progression for me to become the camp director, and that was a few years ago. Um, and I think there was a there was a moment, so then I was a camp director for a year, but I just knew that, like, I didn't quite have the tools to be doing that job, and I felt pretty young to be doing it, having, like, we hire 10 counselors to work with us each year and anywhere from 15 to 25. And I was right there in that age group. And, um, and there were definitely moments of like every year I would like, you know, go to high school, work a summer camp, go to college, come back, work summer camp. And there were moments of like, I'm going to get a kind of quote unquote real job. (laughs) And, um, every May I would realize like, Oh shoot, I haven't applied to anywhere else. (laughs) And like, Actually, when I started to think about it, like what's better than working outside and working with kids and in a garden where we get to grow our own food and with my mom and some of my friends. And I would realize that that like romanticized raft guide didn't quite happen (laughs) and that I actually had a really good setup. So but then there was a kind of a transition point where I realized like switched from thinking of it as, oh, I like to work outside and I like to be with kids to kind of seeing my life's work in this. And uh, that moment, I remember being, I went to a four-day leadership training that was actually held at Islandwood. It was the first time I had been to Islandwood. And that was hosted through the Children in Nature Network. Um, And they have a program called the Natural Leaders Legacy Program. And they train 50 young adults all over the country in how to... They bring together people who are 
making change in their community and then provide them with tools to tell their story and um, use that story to further change their community, I guess. And um, I was there and I realized like, oh, wait a second, like the field of environmental education is like much more than being a camp counselor. Like it's about connecting people to their food and to their water and to one another and building a, a stronger sense of yeah, connection to the natural world. And seeing that through that program, that leadership training, people were doing it through poetry. They were doing it through outdoor excursions. They were doing it through meetups in parks. And all of a sudden I started to see myself in, in that world, um, which then led me into applying into that master's program. You, uh, I don't know how awkward this may be for you, but you sound like my mother. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll explain that. My, my mom is a nurse. Her okay. mother was a nurse. And uh, my mom has, um, she doesn't view it as work. I mean, it's certainly work. It's hard. It's very difficult. I mean, she still will be on the floor. She's in her 70s. Yeah. But uh, she sees it as a vocation. Like mm-hmm. her, you said earlier, your life's work. Mm-hmm. And this, you've got this clear passion for this mm-hmm. thing that, um, you don't seem like you're just working Mm-mm. and it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't feel like work in the sense that i i don't know the way other people talk about it of like oh i have to go to work i do feel like it's a privilege to get to do what i do and it's a very i mean now i've worked there for what 13 13 years that's amazing and every year I find a way to make the job. I think once I made that transition in my head of like, oh, like this is bigger. Like being an educator is bigger. <laughs> or I had never thought of myself as an educator before and I do now. And in the world of in- environmental education and then inclusive education and play-based learning, kind of all of these different components started to build on themselves. And and so each year I've I've been fortunate to make the job more complicated yeah. <laughs> for myself. And I find that now like the interactions between my preschoolers are fascinating and the interactions that kids are having at summer camp, learning how to talk to each other about disability and or ask each other questions like, you know, can he talk? Why, you know, is he really five? And you're like, yes, I know he's really five. Well, like, why can't he walk? And you're like, well, you know, I know that he's five. He's had five birthdays just like you have. Um, but let's talk to him. Like you can talk directly to Liam about this. And so helping kids kind of explore those conversations with each other is humbling and challenging and fun to be a part of. Go running in the green grass. Go sailing down a Take, take me through a day of, of school for you. Um, preschool or summer camp? Anyone. Take me through, like, what, like your ideal day, what is that for you? Waking up, making really good breakfast. 
<laughs> Good choice. Bike commuting to work, um, getting to work early before the other teachers or the other summer camp counselors get there, and slowly walking through the garden and seeing what's changed maybe from the day before or taking a moment to to notice for myself what I see happening in the garden. Um, we do a lot of, we cook every day with our kids. So noticing what's growing, noticing what's changing. The environment is our classroom. And so whether if that's with preschoolers, that's like, oh, there's a bunch of ice crystals. Like, I wonder if we'll go find those later. Or there's a dead bird in the garden. I wonder if the preschoolers will find that later. And kind of thinking through, like, if that happens, what would we what would we do? And it does happen. <laughs> and and then, yeah, kind of have planning out my teaching day. Um, sometimes that means picking out what books we're reading or what songs we're going to sing, what activities we're going to do. And in setting up for any of our programs, we're accommodating. We have kids of all different abilities and kids with and without disabilities. That's kind of the core mission of our organization is to create a place where everyone can come together. And so that can mean that on a summer camp day, we have 22 campers signed up. They come for camp Monday through Thursday. They range, we have three different age groups of camp, but we run, like our primary camp is Garden Explorers. It's ages four to 12. We have a really wide age range, so siblings can come together. But that all, and then we reserve 75% of our spots for children with disabilities, and the other 25% are siblings, neighbors, um, whoever else signs up for the programs. But when you're thinking about activities, you're thinking about how to, like, how is a four year old going to do this, and how is a 12 year old going to do it, and how is someone who might need some physical support to do this activity going to be able to do this? What supports do I need to put in place? Um, beforehand and what things do I have to anticipate are going to go wrong (laughs) and I'm going to need towels to clean things up or so my morning is a lot of mapping things out in my head and then campers arrive or counselors arrive we have a meeting together campers arrive and all of a sudden it's like this beautiful beautiful chaotic loud (laughs) colorful um, play and just kind of good old fashioned play and all of our programs are child directed so the kids get to go and choose what they're going to do for the day and that might mean that they start digging in the mud pit or diving into an art project or they come with their whole imaginative game that they've been playing for a week straight and jump right into family <laughs> playing family and they they jump into their play and counselors greet them and filter out through the garden and we try and let kids stay in activities as long as possible so that they really can sink into it and all of that creativity and imagination and problem solving and the social emotional skills they're learning through their play start to start to really surface mm-hmm. in those long periods of time. I, I just love that so much. We, we spent the past uh, three and a half years uh, where we were living in the North Bay area um, we moved to a few different places, but the, the last year and a half, we were on this property that was also a, a preschool, the Wigwam School, mm-hmm. and uh, our landlords owned the school and operated it. And uh, Kristen, the, the the matriarch, the headmaster, the teacher, she was so 
joyous. She was like a giant child, mm-hmm. or is like a giant child. And it sounds very similar to the program yeah. that you have. It was all outdoors and on this beautiful hill with like you know, a little a fairy garden and like all these different mm-hmm. things. And they would they would actually garden like your kids. They'd make food. I love that sort of um, experiential mm-hmm. learning, you know, the interpersonal stuff, actually looking at bugs and getting your hands dirty. I think that's such a, uh, it, for us to come back in from recess as a child dirty was a big deal. You're in trouble. You know, it wasn't cool. At the little Catholic school I went to in North yeah. Mississippi, <laughs> even though like we were in trailers, yeah. our classrooms were trailers. <laughs> it's like, come on. Yeah. Well, our goal is that if we send kids home tired, dirty, and happy, we've done our job. Mm-hmm. And I would also argue if our counselors go home tired, dirty, and happy, <laughs> then I've done my job. That's fantastic. So there's that component of your work. And then there's you were talking to me earlier um, about the grant writing. Mm-hmm. And one of the specific things you've been working on in the past year or so, uh, it sounded like a really dynamic project. Do you mind mm-hmm. talking a little bit about sure. that? Sure. So I personally don't do the grant writing. <laughs> That's our director of operations, Dana, and she's incredible. I though do try and you know execute the programs that we are writing grants for. So this past... A year and a half ago, we applied for a grant from King County Public Health, and they have an initiative called the Best Start for Kids Initiative. And they were starting to see, the initiative came about because they were starting to see negative health impacts in 30-year-olds, and whether that was obesity or depression, anxiety, and trying to figure out what can we do upstream um, with kids to prevent these health impacts from happening. So the initiative funded, that I'm pretty sure, 16 different nonprofits within King County in food access programs, immigrant refugee services, health centers in high schools, and they funded us. And they funded us under the categories of increasing access to safe environments in the community and increasing access to physical activity. And so we created a third, so we kind of have the grant, we divided into three parts, and one part of it was to create a program called Open Play, and that was, it's, it's an after-school program. It's totally free, drop-in. Families can come to the play garden and get what we like to call like the full play garden experience, which is similar to what they would get if they signed up for summer camp or preschool. But unfortunately, our preschool and summer camp programs fill up really quickly and um, do have a cost associated with them. And so this was a way to have staff there to hold chickens with a family when they come or tell them like, yes, you can pick the blueberries or um, just answer people's parents' questions. So increasing, you know, so that program's been really wonderful and up and going the last year. And then the other part of our grant was to create what we've called an inclusion toolkit. And that toolkit is a beautiful book of family stories and um, stories from parents of children with disabilities and kids themselves talking about what does inclusion mean and what what are they looking for out in the community? Tell us about, we ask parents, tell us about a successful time your family has out in the community. Tell us about an unsuccessful time you've had out in the community. And we kind of compare those responses of a successful time might mean that the family got to go out and everyone just felt comfortable and no one gave them a strange stare that no one ignored their child um, or judged their parenting for maybe how their child might be behaving. 
in maybe unexpected ways and then a successful, you know, and so hearing what was successful and what was unsuccessful and putting those stories together in, in this book that is um, at the printers right now and will soon be um, sharing out in a series. We're doing a series, the third part of the grant is we're doing a series of workshops to bring the toolkit to life over the next year and a half, helping train other people working with kids um, in many community capacity or community spaces like museums and zoos and gardens and after school programs in how to include children with disabilities in their programming and not just how to but really it's a lot about attitude and how do we really help change hearts and minds and and create a, a willingness and an openness to counter this the stigma that's still around disability. Yeah, and the fear of mm-hmm. people and, and not knowing how to approach it. Mm-hmm. That's a gift to the world, I think. I mean, it's, it, there's certainly great benefit to Seattle and King County, mm-hmm. but that, that inclusion toolkit to me is like one of the most clutch pieces of that, that whole work is that it's something that anyone and everyone is going to have access to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're gonna, it's going to be on the internet. Anyone yeah, can take a look at it. It will be on our website it. and it will be, you know, able to download and... I watched yesterday, uh, last night with you, the, uh, the video on your, mm-hmm. on your, on the, um, Seattle children's garden.org play garden. garden.org. <laughs> gosh, uh, that the sort of promo video for what yeah. you guys are up to, I, I would suggest anybody listening to this hit pause now and go to, uh, Seattle children's play garden.org and watch this video. It's incredibly touching. No adult voices. I don't think are in there. It's siblings, uh, together talking about their experience Mm-hmm. And the garden itself, just the play garden, is just beautiful. I mean, the, there's the water feature. There's the gorgeous, you know, vegetable and fruit garden. I mean, everything is just so looks so fun. And so, of course, they shot it on a sunny day in Seattle. Smart move, but uh, it just looks like such it's equally a, fun in the rain. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> I bet. It just doesn't shoot as well as. <laughs> but the the whole the whole thing just looks like um, what you would hope every program would look like. You know, it's it's great that you exist and that you're there, but the goal is, I would imagine, to make yourselves not necessary, right? I mean, that's like, it'd be great if hospitals didn't have to exist because everyone was well, <laughs> you know, but it seems like you guys are, are building this thing that should just be a model for how to to handle things yeah. if you have human beings coming by to have a good time and learn. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's so many elements to what we're doing. Um, We focus a lot on, when I talk about it, I focus a lot on the inclusion component. So, and what that means to us is meaningful, authentic engagement of kids with and without disabilities together. Um, It doesn't happen simply by kind of plopping two kids in a, in a park and hoping that they'll learn to play together. Um, There is facilitation that happens. There is conversation. Um, Then there's also the play-based learning, and we strongly believe that play is a human right and everyone is deserving of time to play and and places that are, you know, having access to places that are inspiring and beautiful, and that's why we have things like a water feature and a forested area and places with lots of loose parts for kids to manipulate and move around throughout the garden. Um, so it's a, it's different than 
a traditional playground. And even our, our playground is designed to be fully inclusive. And some of that means, I guess I should clarify kind of the difference we think about accessibility and inclusion. So accessibility is making a place physically accessible for someone with a disability to, or anyone to come and use, whether that's moving through a space or getting onto play equipment or getting through a building. And since the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed in 1990, all parks have to comply with ADA standards. However, um, accessibility is, is kind of the first step into inclusion and inclusion goes much further than that into um, making sure that people actually feel welcome when they come to a space and that they're invited in and that they're included in the play and they're able to participate. And people are going to participate in all different ways. That's not expecting that everyone is going to be able to have the exact same experience when they go somewhere, but but that they're able to have the experience in the first place. Um, so. Yeah. Will you... Will you- take it back a little bit and talk to me about sort of the specific language that you use around this. Cause I, I've, I've caught myself doing this and you caught me doing this, the, uh, you know, when you refer to people, um, in any context, whether you're talking about, uh, maybe a, a child that is, um, in a wheelchair or a child with autism, there, there's a specific way that we're, um, is, uh, maybe not necessarily intuitive, but it, it would be, um, I don't know, advantageous for everyone to think about speaking in this way I, 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 listening to you the way that you refer to the kids and stuff is um i don't know that everybody knows about that and i feel like this is an opportunity to to share that yeah sure i f- before getting caught up in terminology i think it's really important to acknowledge that well first of all every single child and person is unique and is going to want to be referred to um, in different ways. And talking to people directly is is your best way of figuring that out. Um, there, you want to lo- use language that's positive <laughs> and doesn't perpetuate negative stereotypes or um, hurtful <laughs> language. There's um, what is called person-first language and something also called identity-first language. Person-first language would be using phrases like a, a child with a disability, and that is putting the child first in that, their personhood first, and their disability as part of who they are and not making up their entirety. Um, then there's identity-first language, which kind of flips that and puts the disability first in in a phrase, such as uh, a disabled child or a autistic person. And that is, that kind of stems from this, my disability is very core to who, who I am. And I'm, and it's not a a sad part of who I am. It's who I am. And I'm, I'm owning that. And both of those, and, and in all of this, I have to say that I, I, don't consider myself to be a person with a disability and I'm speaking on behalf of <laughs> of other people and and that in and of itself feels strange to put any labels um, but from what we have heard from kids themselves what we have heard from parents 
what we have read um, in a lot of media outlets from people in people living with disabilities is that that's kind of the language they they prefer. Um, but it's tricky. And I think the most important thing is to not get caught up like in writing this toolkit and in doing the work that I do. The most important thing is like just say hi and introduce yourself. And it's we interviewed a, a camp counselor and asked you know, what should people know? He's a young adult with autism who started working or coming to the playground when he was four and helped design the space, works for me or worked for me as a summer camp counselor for the last couple summers and is now off studying aerospace engineering at Purdue. But we asked him, what is it that you wish the world knew about inclusion and, and the work we're doing? And he said, in one sentence, it's not that complicated if you listen to the kids and the parents then I agree. (laughs) It's, you know, you can, they're, they're your best advocates and you can ask them directly. And I'd be happy to like share a dialogue with you of how I might help kids talk to each other about disability or how we, you know, talk to other parents, but, um, mainly just moving past this, like, Oh, I, I don't want to say the wrong word. So I'm not going to say anything. So I'm going to avoid this family or, I don't, I, I'm confused by what I'm seeing. Like maybe a child uses a trach to help them breathe and it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. And, and it's really important to check your own bias and like, what, why, why am I feeling this right now? Do I feel uncomfortable? Do I feel scared? Do I feel nervous? Do I not know the language to use? I want to talk to this person, but I don't have the language. So I'm just freezing and just remembering that almost everyone would prefer for you to like say something and make a mistake (laughs) and they can correct it or but if it's done with positive intent then then you're so much farther ahead than you were Right now, children with disabilities are excluded from after-school programs, from summer camp programs, from excluded at the park when other the, when other kids are trying to play. And we all know that those are all places that are really critical to children's to their to their childhood and to making friends. And if um, you know, some people might hear that and be like, whoa, whoa, like, that's kind of harsh. That's not really true. It, It is unfortunately true and happening. And that can happen for a lot of reasons, you know, even with good intent. Sometimes people are like, I don't have the staffing. I don't have the um, training. I don't, 
know how, or it's, we haven't done it in the past, or or even an assumption that like, oh, there are other other places where the, these these kids, as if they're separate, yeah. which is you know wrong in and of itself. That they first and foremost, when we talk about them, they are kids in our community, yes. <laughs> and they are brothers and sisters and artists and soccer players and future Olympic athletes or current special Olympic athletes and contributing members of our society. And we, we still in many ways segregate them from full participation. We might offer something like a specialized program, but that might only be for children with disabilities that doesn't include their typically developing siblings or their neighbors. And so, and it happens, it happens often. And currently the word inclusion starts to mean, means a lot of things in our current political climate. And um, oftentimes disability is still excluded from that. So the story you're referencing is we had, um, a parent who tried to sign her two kids up for an after-school cooking class that was marketed as a inclusive, all-are-welcome experience. She called to sign up her kids and spoke with the person on the phone, and they said, said something, and I'm paraphrasing as the story came through to me, but I'd like to sign my two kids up. You know, I have a son who has autism. He's seven, and I have my daughter. She's five. And the person on the phone kind of froze and and pretty much gave a response along the lines of, sorry, we, we don't take children with disabilities. Without, which right away <laughs> is hurtful and um, discouraging to that parent and that family. And from my understanding, the, the person on the phone didn't take much time to ask well, wait a second, tell me, you know, I might not have much experience with kids with autism or I don't have experience. Can you tell me more about your son? And just give the parent the opportunity to say, you know, he's a seven-year-old. He actually loves to cook. He's really helpful in the kitchen. He's great in a group of kids and he's funny and he's charming and, and all the things that he really he really is. And And then she might've also said, and he has a hard time with transitions. And so if you're moving from, this part of your cooking class to this part, you know, maybe give him a five minute morning. So had the person on the phone been able to ask the questions, she would have heard one, oh, wait a second. I think I actually could have this kid in my class without it being too disruptive or something, which is maybe what her fear was. And she got a tip in how to, how to help him have the best experience possible. Yeah. That's a, and that's, exactly fear yeah you know it's fear of offense fear of just unknown fear of you know the mm-hmm. quote-unquote messing up her program or whatever it mm-hmm. is which um i don't know i, I can't I, i'm at all times trying to become more and more aware of where my privileges are mm-hmm. you know and how fortunate i've been in my life to you know whatever just be born at the time i was born and the, the place i was born to the family uh, and, you know, the worst thing that's happened to me physically has been like a, a broken arm or, you know, a fib in my heart, 
you know, I, I've been so fortunate um, it, to have that kind of present at all times is not really easy, you know, and to sort of use that as a lens to look at how I treat other people uh, is something I, I kind of need help with, you know, mm-hmm. like, and to understand where I'm leaving someone out or yeah. leaving someone behind and have like having the opportunity to talk to you and just uh, the stories you've shared with me about the kids and about the the work that you do and the way that these just, they're just human beings. Just these kids get treated um, f- out of fear has just really, uh, it's opened my eyes in a way that I did not expect my eyes to be opened by just, you know, an Airbnb guest showing up <laughs> at someone else's house. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know. I feel like uh, what you're doing is incredibly important, not just for children with disabilities, but just for the way that human beings treat other human beings. You know, I'm, uh, we met a young woman this uh, this summer who's worked a lot with like uh, making sure that uh, children from uh, like immigrant families get included and can actually go to camp without fear of being sent to detention, you know, or some sort. Of, you think of all the people who are left out of mm-hmm. whatever, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a summer camp or a playground or any given thing. There's our biases and our fears are really in the foreground of how we behave as a, as a people. And um, it's not for the uh, presence of malice or some ill intent. I think most people are well-meaning. We just don't know. We, you know, and that's the, that's the whole thing. You're like shining this, yeah. this bright light on um, sort of our ignorance, not in the pejorative, but like, you know, just, Hey, here's something of which you are not aware. Let me, let me help you out. And, you know, if there's a message I would want coming out of this is that it's absolutely beautiful, absolutely worth it. And I can't see any other, any other option now. I mean, I absolutely not. I mean, it's, or it's, it's absolutely amazing to see kids of all ages helping each other. People often wonder, like, why do you have such a big age range? And you're like, well, some of that's so siblings can come. Some of that's because multi-age play is beautiful. And you have a four-year-old teaching something to a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old showing something to a three-year-old. And they all help each other. And like you're saying, this kids are naturally inclusive. They want, they want to understand themselves and they want to understand their friends and their peers. And if you... And they have questions, and the best thing you can do is answer their questions directly and honestly. Try really hard to help kids talk directly to each other and not up to a caretaker or an adult. And find help them find a similarity so that they can find a bridge um, to to see each other. And but it's it's totally amazing to see happening, and it's. Like that counselor I quoted, like it's not that hard. <laughs> um, so w- let me ask you this. I don't know if this is too broad a question, but how do you counter that? Um, so say someone does have uh, a summer camp mm-hmm. and they've got you know 45 kids and then someone um, says, hey, my, my son would love to be here, but he has these challenges. You know, this is this is this is him. Um, and it's very much outside of say there's. 29 typically developing children and then there's one kid who's going to need objectively yeah. special special attention when when they counter with like look we don't have the staff or the resources or the training to deal with it how do you counter that like what is the 
you know, like in, I, in the immediate term, like, sorry, yeah. we just can't take that kid. I you? think that it's okay to start slow. <laughs> you don't have to change your program overnight and expect that you can serve all the, everyone at the same, you know, right away just by shifting your attitude of like, oh, we're going to do this. Okay. You can go slow with it. You can accept one child and talk with that parent or that child and and say, okay, great. Come. What is it that you need? Oh, you need someone who um, can help you move through the space. Okay, great. We'll, we'll, we'll see if we can find a volunteer or we'll hire, we'll hire someone to come and be there. Or maybe it's someone who, you know, helps a child transition and helps a child kind of take breaks away from the group because maybe they don't do well in large group settings. And so I would say start start with one child, get to know one child and see that it see that it works. And there are challenges. I don't when I say it's easy, I don't mean that I go to work and my day is nothing work of working with kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's every day, you know, right. Every kid is different and presents all sorts of unique situations to you and all the time. And I think the educators and teachers, they know this really well. Like you have a class and everyone is at a different place and you're going to find, find ways to connect with kids in different ways. And you're differentiating how you deliver something or set something up. And um, so it's, it's a willingness First of all, to accept a, fa- a child and a family, a willingness to work with the family. I would say it's important to have venues for staff conversation and debrief at the end of. So um, my example for that would be in summer camp. I hire 10 counselors to work with us for summer camp. Anywhere, like I said, anywhere from 15 to 15 year olds who've never worked with kids not to mention have experience working with kids with disabilities, all the way to 25-year-olds getting their master's in social work. And some are young adults with disabilities. Some are siblings with who have a, a sibling with a disability. So we've got a whole mix of experience, both personal and within their family experiences that we're working off of. And we'll start a week. We'll go through the campers. We look at the information parents provide to us. And we use that as kind of a, a scaffold and we say, okay, but let's go meet the kids. And then Monday happens and we meet the kids. And then every single day after camp, we come, we clean up, we sit back down and we have a debrief and we say, Hey, what worked? Oh, okay, cool. What, what didn't work? And then someone might say, Hey, you know, I had a really hard time transitioning Sophie from the wild zone to circle. And another counselor might say, Oh, I tried, um, you know, counting down with my fingers in front of her. And, and that helped. And so it's, it's a willingness to work together with, with the resources that you have. You might not be able to hire a bunch more staff to support students, but you, I want to say like, you have everything you need, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, really. And you have, if you're willing to talk with your coworkers and the families and try something on Monday talk about it and if it worked keep doing it and if it didn't work try something different on tuesday (laughs) so the on the ground reality of teachers um i mean you you come from a place in seattle that is uh very different than the rest of the world like i said i I grew up in mississippi 
and our classrooms were trailers and our teachers were not well paid, you know, and it, there was not a lot of resource. Um, and I went to like private schools, you know, even just there, it wasn't like a, a well healed sort of place, you know. Uh, so I can imagine people hearing this in, you know, other parts of the world and other parts of the country. They're like, well, yeah, that may be possible in Seattle. <laughs> but what I'm hearing you saying, though, is um, it's, it is beginning in a frame of mind that these are, if you're going to teach children, you have to teach them all. Mm-hmm. Or run an after school program or a day camp or guitar lessons or dance class. Um, that it, and this, I would expand on that, that it be, goes beyond school. When we think about inclusion, and I think that word, you know, typically when people say it, they think, oh, inclusion of kids with disabilities in a general education classroom in a school. They don't think about, oh, how, how are, how are all of our kids being integrated into our community and supported in our community? And you're right. We do have, you know, I work with an organization now that we do have a beautiful space, but it didn't start that way. And we started with straw bales and porter potties. And we did the same thing we're doing now. Perfect. So that's where I was trying to lead you. <laughs> I, I kind of wanted you to bring that up. Sorry. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I, I looked at, you said something earlier about like, hey, look, it's always tough working with kids. It's always challenging, no matter what the circumstances are. When I would uh, see, like hear Kristen tell, tell me stories about her daycare where mm-hmm. we were living. I, I, I don't think I ever actually said this to Kristen, but I, I referred it to it as like, there will be poop. It's just you know, like, mm-hmm. there was always a poop story. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, just, you know, so-and-so, oh man, I found some underwear, you know, like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like. I can't, it just seems like no matter what, it's a challenge. That plenty. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a challenge no matter what's going on. So might as well yeah. you know, find the best possible way to do it. Yeah. And it sounds, so uh, as far as resources are concerned, I'm going to put links up mm-hmm. on the website so people can check out what you're doing. I definitely highly encourage people to go to your website. But um, yeah, the the book, mm-hmm. the Inclusion Toolkit mm-hmm. is going to be published and, and made available on Amazon. You can get it. Um, that I'm not totally sure. I mean, it would be on our website. I don't know, honestly, if it's going to be free or if we would charge for it. <laughs> it's okay. um, you're not obli- you're not on the record as saying. I way think or the other. it's really it's it's exciting to think that there's people out there who would find um, find it useful, and if nothing less, it's it's beautiful to read people's stories, stories and yeah. hear. Um, hear from the perspective directly from from these families and learn from them and I learn every day in the job that I do and so I would encourage people to read it and there's a lot of beautiful photos <laughs> you just want it for the visual effects yeah. that works too I was going to ask if there were pictures Good. so many <laughs> yeah. will, will you tell me uh, just one one quick story about any, I mean, mm-hmm. you told me so many over the past few days that have just been hilarious, cute, touching stories. Do you have a have one? I was thinking of a story that I think it's important to capture kind of helping kids talk to each other about disability and and how an adult can kind of help, help that situation. Mm-hmm. So if I can share that story. Please. There's... Two campers I have. Um, 
One is named Lucas, and he's an eight-year-old boy with, um, he uses a wheelchair, and he also uses a breathing machine and has a trach. Um, He is an amazing, amazing reader. He's an amazing um, paleontologist, future paleontologist. And, um, but, you know, with his breathing machine, it does look a little bit alarming at first. You see something connected to his throat and, and people do have questions. Um, and there was one day at summer camp where I had another kid, Miles, who kept kind of like at first kind of circling, you know, peeking his head kind of closer to Lucas and we were over by the chickens and he I kind of looked at him and I was like, Miles, I noticed that you're, you're curious about Lucas's chair, about Lucas, not Lucas's chair. I see you're curious about Lucas. And, and he kind of sheepishly ran away and that's fine. You know, he's allowed to have his curiosity and he's allowed to experience that in his own time. And then I was like, Hey, Miles, come back for a second. Like you were curious, right? And he came back and I was like, can I introduce you? And he kind of is still looking at me like, how is that? How is that possible? Miles is about six. Um, so they're close in age, and he can see that. Um, but I was like, hey, Lucas, can you introduce yourself? And Lucas does speak and told him his name. And I think right away you kind of see Miles is like, oh, you know, oh, he, he has some words. And they introduced themselves, and I said, and so this is where, like, an adult, I could have answered, I could have talked about Lucas, in front of him, which is sometimes what happens. But Lucas can fully think and communicate for himself. And sometimes his speech is a bit hard to understand, but he, he can. And so I asked Lucas, Lucas, do you want to tell Miles about your, your chair? And he said, I use my chair so I can move around and I use my trach to help me breathe. And Miles like, took it in and kind of was a little bit still a little nervous and kind of ran off and then came back a little bit later as we were at another part in the garden and at this point you can tell he's like getting more and more comfortable being around Lucas's Lucas and and then I said but you know Lucas what else what else do you really like and he's like I really like dinosaurs and Miles like perks up and he's like dinosaurs and and they they started diving into a conversation about dinosaurs that went far beyond my knowledge <laughs> um, and much greater depth. And I still needed to be there to help Miles understand what Lucas was saying at times. But they, it's kind of, I, I like that story because it, it reminds me of there's an arc and kids experience it and adults experience it too of like, Unfortunately, there sometimes can be discomfort around interacting with anyone who is different than you. It doesn't matter if that's someone who speaks a different language or is a different age or from a different cultural background. There's there's a little bit of that. Oh gosh, this is different. And then and then working through that into oh wait a second. Yeah, it's different, but at the end of the day like we're we're both just like 6 and 8 year old boys and we want to talk dinosaurs all day every day and finding finding a common ground um and moments like that happen hourly at the play garden um across all different combinations of kids and adults be kind 
Yeah, be, be loving. Kind. Talk be, to each other. Say yeah. hi. Yeah. Be interested mm-hmm. and compassionate. Mm-hmm. Hannah, thank you so much. Thank you. This was fun. Indeed. Sometimes in our lives we all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me when you're listening to the monkey tooth podcast if you haven't already or it's been a while check out our website mtp.dog there's plenty of information there an about tab with a little bio on andrew myself and our dog pele there's also a van build tab detailing how we did our van conversion a journal tab and we as an andrew are doing our best to keep that up to date and last but not least a contact tab where you can leave your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you would like to donate and or subscribe to the cause, you can go to Patreon and GoFundMe at Monkey Tooth Podcast. Patreon is not just a place to subscribe. We post lots of content there as well. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Love to all. Oh,